Could you stand with me and honor God's word? Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke's gospel, chapter 10. In honor of Star Wars, I thought it only right that we start in Luke's gospel. Luke. Luke 10. Look at 38. Probably a portion of scripture you've read before, but I think we're going to get some fresh insight, see it with fresh eyes tonight. Luke 10, 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Father God, I pray that we would discover more than ever the value of being at Jesus' feet too. And there are a lot of things that we could be doing. And there are a lot of details that we could be paying attention to. But Father, I ask and I pray that tonight we would begin to choose what Mary did. We would begin to choose the one thing that's worth really being concerned over, really worth it. And so, Father, meet us here in this place. Draw us to your feet, we ask, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. You could be seated. If idle hands are the devil's workshop, I believe that busy hands are the devil's playground. If the, if the, if the enemy can succeed in anything, I think he wants to succeed in keeping us busy. Stay busy. Stay busy. I believe the enemy's greatest weapon today is busyness. When someone's busy, they don't have any time for you. I'm sorry, um, don't have any time for you. I'm busy right now. And I think the enemy uses it well. And let me say this. I'm going to make a, a few statements tonight that I just really want you to think about. But if the enemy can't get you busy doing what he wants, then he'll keep, keep you busy doing what you want. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. And why is it a win-win? Because busy people have little time for God. And if people are not spending very much time with God, then people aren't really hearing from God. And so the best that they can do is to rest on the relationship that they once had, the experiences that they once knew, because nothing is happening in the present. So I have to rely on the past, or I got to begin to maybe second-guess God based on my past with him, because I got nothing going on right now. I'm too busy. Pastor, I'm too busy to be spending time with God. I'm too busy. And I believe it's one of the enemy's greatest tools. And so I want to look tonight at this portion of Scripture and others to challenge the busy lives that we lead. You know, just think about it. How many of you do not turn your cell phone off at all? Don't, don't turn it off. Don't turn it off. And I thought that that thing was supposed to simplify my life. All of a sudden now, it is imperative that people are able to get a hold of you. They're texting you, hello? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? Back in the day, we didn't have any phones in the car. Back in the day, it was called a landline, 
and it was there, and maybe you had a real long cord so that you could go around the corner for privacy, all of a sudden now it's imperative that people are able to get a hold of you right away. And if you do not get back with them right away, then there's a chance that they might get offended. I saw that they read it. I, I saw it. I saw they read it. Busy, busy, busy. You know what, if you think about it, and I absolutely love this time of the year, and I'm always trying to, to, to put the brakes on, I'm always trying to, trying to pull back. I really believe it's the, it's the most wonderful time of year. I have just the fondest of, of memories regarding Christmas, you know, and I know some of you can't say that, but, but I do. And as much as I, I love, you know, gifts and, and giving gifts, if you think about it, it's the gathering that makes this time of year special. How many of you are going to be with friends and family that have come hundreds of miles for Christmas? I mean, the airports are inundated with all of the people that are coming home for Christmas. It's the gathering. It's everybody taking a break from their busy schedules and getting together with people that they typically don't spend a whole bunch of time with. That's what makes it special. I've never been at a Christmas gathering um, in, in, at least in recent years where somebody just got up in the middle of, of eating a piece of pie after dinner and said, I, I, I got to get to work. Because everybody takes these days off. They, they, they purpose to get with, with family and friends. And if you're like us, you're going to multiple Christmases. And one thing you're guaranteed is that when you walk through the door, I mean, you're, you're taking a load off. You're sitting down. You're not, you're not going anywhere. There's no schedule to keep. There's no work that needs to be done. Everybody's in chill mode and everybody's hanging and everybody's gathering. That's what makes this time of year special. Now, I can remember as a kid, we had a large family, a large family. I have five brothers and a sister, and they're all six to 21 years older than me. My oldest brother was 21 years old when I was born. My sister, who was closest in age to me, was six years older than me. And so, I mean, they had families. I was an uncle when I was four. And so our house was packed with people. And for whatever reason, our house was like the gathering place. My mom was a phenomenal cook. That probably helped. But um, it was like the gathering place. So I'd have cousins coming over. I'd have relatives coming over. I mean, people that weren't even immediate family, they'd stop over at our house Christmas night. I just, and I loved it. You know, it seemed like everybody that walked through the door was just so cool to see them. I love seeing my cousins in the family. There's nothing, nothing like Christmas and I believe that church is kind of based on this very principle, too, that we're going to be looking at tonight. Isn't church that, you know, hey, man, take a break from the world. Take a break from the hectic pace of life. Think about it. In here right now, you know, we're not, oh, man, I need to do that. Oh, yep, I need to. You're, you're taking a breather. You're spending time with God right now. You're making God a, a priority right now as you've come to worship him tonight, as you've come to sit under the word tonight. I mean, everything about church says, hey, 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 come out of the hustle and the bustle. Hey, 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 come out of the madness. Hey, yeah, we're, we all got stuff to do. Come on, come on, come on. And draw aside and pull aside and spend some time with God. No wonder why scriptures like Hebrews 10, 25, so important, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. New living, I love the way it words it. It says, and let us not neglect our meeting together, when Christians are not gathering with other Christians, Scripture calls it neglect. Don't neglect the body of Christ. 
and it tells us why. It says, but exhort one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Jesus promised that when we're gathered together in his name, even if it's just two or three, he's there in their midst. Jesus promised that. Where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The church is unlike any other people group on the face of the earth. It's unlike any other people group on the face of the earth. No people group can say that when we gather together under this name that the presence of God is there. The church can say that. Because we're gathered under his name, we're gathered because of his name, we're gathered because of the price that he paid. Everything revolves around Jesus Christ and doesn't revolve around us. Every other group gets together for whatever reason they want to get together. We get together for the reasons that God would have us gather together. And that sets us apart and it makes us different and it challenges every other people group and why they meet and why they gather. So back to Mary and Martha again. Notice how Martha viewed Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and it's really important that we understand this and we're gonna talk about some cultural stuff too in a minute, but first of all, Martha's almost bossing the Lord around. You know, Lord, tell her to, you know, to, to help me. In older versions, it doesn't just say Martha once. It says Martha twice. Martha, Martha. How many of you know that anytime the Lord mentions your name twice, it's usually pretty pivotal. It's a pivotal point. There's a point that's soon coming. Moses, Moses, God called to Moses out of the burning bush, mentioned his name twice. Here, the Lord mentions Martha's name twice. Martha, Martha. And how many of you know when the Lord calls your name like that, it arrests your attention. There's nothing like God calling your name. Nothing like it. And here, Martha says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here? She's sitting at Jesus' feet, but it didn't matter because Martha's agenda was so important to her. I mean, she's preparing a, a meal for the Lord. And she said, doesn't, doesn't it matter to you that she just sits here? As if Mary sitting at Jesus' feet was doing nothing. But that's what she's treating it like. My question, though, is why did Mary sit at Jesus' feet? Why couldn't she have listened while she was helping? Why did she have to sit at Jesus' feet? Why couldn't she, probably like most of us today, maybe if you grew up in a large family like I did, you were either eating at a TV tray or you were eating standing up. How many of you grew up in a house where you were eating standing up? I mean, it was, you're busy. And so I have no problem. To this day, a lot of times I'll have a plate on the counter and I'll eat. You know, and Lisa will say, why don't you come and sit down and why don't you come and eat with the rest of us? Why, why did Mary sit at Jesus' feet? The New King James words, Luke 10, 39, and she had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet. So Martha sat at Jesus' feet too. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus'. So Martha sat at Jesus' feet too. So what is so important about sitting at Jesus' feet? Well, that's what a disciple did. A disciple sat at the feet of their teacher, of their rabbi, of their instructor. That's what they did. They sat at their feet. I want to draw your attention to a, a couple scriptures that will help illustrate this. Go to Acts 22. Acts 22. How you guys doing tonight? I'm kind of quiet out there. Acts 22. Look at 22. Then Paul said, verse 3, 22-3. I'm told that I hurry too much, so I'm slowing down. Acts 22-3. 
How am I doing, honey? Okay, thank you. All right. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel as his student. I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I, began very, I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. Well, what you might not know is that older versions like the ESV and the New King James, they don't say that Paul was educated under Gamaliel. They say that he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel or he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel because you sat at the feet of your rabbi. You sat at the feet of your teacher. And Gamaliel was a renowned rabbi, well-known for his wisdom. Disciples sat at their teacher's feet. So Martha may well have been serving Jesus, but Mary was getting discipled by Jesus. And there's a difference. I've seen a lot of busy people serving in the church and missing out on being discipled. And before you know it, all of a sudden things come out of their mouth or actions, and I'm thinking, man, that isn't what a disciple would say or do. What happened? Where was the disconnect there? Let me show you this in another scripture. I tried to grab some maybe that you're not familiar with. Go to Luke 8. You'll like this. Maybe you never saw this before. Luke 8. Look at Luke 8, 35. This is the Gadarene demoniac. Remember the, the guy that a legion of demons was you know, cast out of? Remember they begged Jesus, just let us go into those pigs over there and Jesus said, okay, go ahead, and all the pigs ran into the lake and were drowned. This is that guy. Look at Luke 8, 35. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. <laughs> um, you can't blame them because this guy was crazy, crazy. Notice once set free what he was doing. He was sitting at Jesus' feet. He was sitting at Jesus' feet. I mean, what's so important about sitting at Jesus' feet? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, if we're a disciple, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sit at the feet of an instructor. Let me show you why it's so important. Go to John's Gospel, chapter 1, John 1. And let's look at this a little bit, and we're going to peel this back. A little bit. I love it that immediately after that demonized man, what do they say, a legion's about 6,000. So upwards of 6,000 demons were in him. Jesus casts them out in a moment. And then what did he do? He's sitting at his feet. Freshly delivered. What's he doing? I'm a disciple now. I'm a disciple. And he's sitting at his feet. I just love that. Look at John 1. Let me read a, a few verses here. I want you to make the connection with Jesus and the Word of God here um, because it, it mentions it a lot, and I want you to notice the connection with Jesus and the Word. Jesus and the Word. And this is Christmas. We're talking about the incarnation. We're talking about God becoming man. And here in John chapter 1, it takes it even a step further. And it gets very specific about who Jesus, Jesus is. 
And nobody cuts to the chase like John. John doesn't have a lineage in the beginning of his gospel. He cuts right to who Jesus was. I love John's gospel. John was the intimate one with Jesus. He was a disciple that Jesus loved. He was the one in the Last Supper. You always see his head on Jesus' chest. Look at John 1.1. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. So now we're going from talking about the word of God to the word being God. Notice that turn. He existed in the beginning with God, so the word's a he. God created everything through him. He's the creator. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created in his life. So now the word is spoken of as a, as a him. His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. How powerful is that? The word became human and made his home among us. Older versions say the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why is that so important? What that tells me then is when I am sitting at Jesus' feet, I'm sitting at the word. I'm sitting at the word of God. I'm sitting at the feet of the word of God. Who's ever teaching it, who's ever preaching it, I'm sitting at their feet and I'm receiving the word of God. I am a modern day disciple. I am a learner under discipline. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and so I am sitting at the feet of the word of God. Today, you and I as believers, when we sit under the word of God, when we choose to sit under the word of God, it is the same as sitting at the feet of Jesus when he walked the earth. And we are now disciples. Disciples sit at the feet of the word of God when it's preached. No wonder why scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news. Why are they so beautiful? Why are the feet of those who bring good news so beautiful? Because people sit at the feet of those who bring good news. It's why the feet are so beautiful. How beautiful are the feet? Not only does it, does it speak of the picture of them bringing that news, walking and to whatever, wherever they're gonna preach from, but it also speaks about those that would be sitting at their feet, how beautiful they are. The most beautiful thing in the world, the feet of those who bring good news. So when we sit under the word of God, we sit under or at the feet of Jesus. Look at Luke 10, 42, and I want to build on this, so go back to Luke 10, 42, and I want to build on this a little bit. You guys with me? We still hanging here? It says in Luke 10, 42, it says there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it'll not be taken away from her. Notice it says there is only, th only one thing worth being concerned about. Did you know that even worship 
If you really look it up, it means worth-ship. There's only one that is worthy of being worshipped. There's only one worthy of our, our worship. Notice here it says there's only one thing worth being concerned about. The message says there's one thing only is essential. The ESV says one thing is necessary. The New King James says one thing is needed. What Mary chose was essential, it was necessary, it was needed, and it was the only thing worth being concerned about. Whatever your day, whatever your day um, throws at you, whatever, whatever comes your way, I want you to know that at any given time, there's only one thing that's really worth being concerned about. Only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary discovered it. It was sitting at Jesus' feet. She discovered it. And I love how the New Living words it. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it'll not be taken away from her. I love it. Mary's discovered it. She found it. Martha looked at her and said, Lord, don't you care that she's just sitting there? And the Lord says, let me tell you something. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, Martha. Mary's discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her, which leads me to believe that all of our serving, it could be taken away from us. But sitting at Jesus' feet as a disciple, that'll never be taken away from us. Never. The world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. So sitting at Jesus' feet doing what? Verse 39 tells us what she was doing. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, reinforcing what we already said. The ESV says, listened to his teaching. The New King James says, heard his word. The Message Bible probably words it the best. Hanging on every word he said. I love that. Mary was sitting there hanging on every word that he said. Absolutely love that one. It will not be taken away from her. The ESV says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. New King James says, Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And the NLT, as we've already read, says, Mary discovered it. It'll not be taken away from her. The Message Bible probably captures this best, this portion right here. It says, Mary has chosen it. It's the main course and won't be taken from her. Do you guys see the contrast between what Martha is busy preparing and what Jesus is giving? Do you see that? Two meals are being prepared here. Martha's preparing one and Jesus is giving one. As the New American Commentary puts it, what feeds the soul is more important than what feeds the body. But if you'd be honest, what does the enemy always want you focused on? He always wants you thinking about your body. He always wants you thinking about you. He always wants you to be thinking about your physical desires, your physical cravings, whether it's your appetite for food, whether it's lust, whether it's greed, whether it's a desire to be successful in this life. The enemy wants you to think that the world revolves around you, yet the spirit of the living God and those who believe cries out for their light to revolve around Jesus Christ. And isn't that the great big contrast? Every day we deal with wanting to center on ourselves or coming back to our born-again spirit that's crying out in the inside of us for more of Jesus. No, 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 your life revolves around Jesus Christ now. You have been reborn and your life now revolves around Jesus Christ. It doesn't revolve around you. Everything 
that matters in life comes from Jesus. Didn't we just read that in John chapter 1? That Jesus is life. He's life. Hearing God's word, therefore, whether you realize it or not, feeds your soul. I love what Jack Hayford's mother told a friend of hers when they were talking about this principle, um, about how the word feeds you, about how the word nourishes you. She told her, her friend, I don't, I, I don't remember what the message was a, a, a couple, couple weeks ago. And Jack Hafer's mom, full of wisdom, told her friend, you know, I don't remember what I ate for breakfast two weeks ago, but it still fed me. The word of God feeds you. It feeds you in ways that you don't even realize. Think about it. Why is there then such a battle for you to get in the word all the time? I have never been much of a reader. God's word's different. God's word different. God's word is different. I've known people that are dyslexic. Dyslexic. And have struggled reading, but when it comes to the Bible, man, they read it. I've written to guys that have been in prison. A buddy of mine was in prison and he was in the word consistently and I noticed that his writing got clear and clear and clear. And he was never a reader. I mean, he was always the guy playing hooky. He was a, he's the guy that I uh, was snorting cork, coke with till five in the morning when I went to uh, the church service for the first time. He was the guy that still had like hours of detention when we were graduating he goes, I've got like three hours of detention that I haven't served yet. I said, is your diploma signed? I said, I think you're good. They can't make you come in now. You graduated, okay? I mean, it was that guy. Um, it was that guy. I mean, he was, the, he was the guy that was too much fun to spend time in school, and how he graduated is beyond me. But the Word of God, it feeds you in ways that you just don't know. And if you wouldn't neglect your body, physical food, then why would you neglect yourself spiritual food? And I believe that theologian is right. I believe that what feeds your soul is more important than what feeds your body. And there should be a steady intake of God's word. Pastor John, I'm not going to read the Bible every day. Steady intake, man. Steady intake. You probably don't eat the best of food every day either. Steady intake. A steady intake of God's word. Find a way to get it in there. And with today's technology, man, you can listen to it. You can drive down the road. You can go for a walk. You can listen to it. There's no reason why you can't take the word of God in. I can't stress it enough. I so love how the New Living captures, captures it when it says, and Mary discovered it. Mary discovered the nourishment of sitting at Jesus' feet. Let me put it this way. Mary found the main course to be at Jesus' feet, not at Martha's table. Mary found the main course was at Jesus' feet, not at Martha's table. At Jesus' feet, there was steak. I don't know what Martha had going on, but spiritually speaking, Jesus is serving up. He's serving up prime rib right there with horseradish sauce and um, au jus, and um, it, it's going on at Jesus' feet. I believe that God is always providing a table for us, whether we belly up to it and not eat, that's up to us. Isn't it amazing in Psalm 23? It says the Lord prepares a table for us even in the presence of our enemies. Even in the presence of our enemies. You know what that tells me? That tells me that there is not a single place that I could go where God's provision won't be there for me. 
Man, I see God providing for people behind bars. I see God providing for people that are impoverished. I see God providing for people that are physically handicapped. I see God providing for people all the time. Why? Because there's nowhere where God cannot provide for you. Even in the presence of your, in the presence of your enemies. It, it's, <laughs> the picture that I get is, like there's a whole bunch of enemies right there, and God says, hold on a minute. Let me set this table um, let me set this table right here with this rich table for, all right, um, they're your enemies, but here I provided for you right in their face, in the presence of them. In the presence of your enemies, God provides for you. And whenever you see table spoken of, it is speaking of a spiritual meal. Even the wedding supper of the Lamb one day that we'll all be sitting at, those of us who believe can you imagine the table fair that will be there? Can you, can, can you imagine? It's amazing. When I was in Israel, I had the opportunity to celebrate the Shabbat meal with a Jewish family, a traditional Jewish family. They were gracious and, and allowed us into their home. And the individual's home that I went into was a very successful businessman. Um, he uh, took his family from New York and they moved to Israel. He's got a beautiful home. He had a, like a racquetball court in his basement. I mean, just had done really, really well. And on the Shabbat, everything that everything like comes to a screeching halt on that Saturday evening meal as they celebrate the Shabbat. And it is like it's like Thanksgiving, man. I mean, the 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 food was incredible. I mean, just coarse. After course, after course. And I don't think that was just because there were some, you know, guests there that day. I think they celebrate it like that every, every week. They celebrate it. And this Shabbat is kind of a picture of how God spiritually provides and wants to nourish us. John 4, 34, when they were concerned about Jesus as to whether or not he had eaten anything, he said, I've got food to eat that you don't even know about. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God doing the will of my Father. There is a nourishment for the believer in doing God's word, in receiving his word. There's a, there's a nourishment there. And if we are taking in the word of God, there should be a, a regenerating that goes on, a renewal that goes on, a, a, a personal revival that goes on because we're receiving and we're taking in the word of God. Notice that it says, it will not be taken away from her. Well, theologians have kind of debated what that word it means when it says, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Well, there's some debate as to what that it is, and I'll throw three of them at you. Regarding Mary, that it has been said to mean that she will not be forced to stop listening. You cannot shut her ears up when she is sitting under the teaching of Jesus, or she's sitting and receiving the word of God. Or two, it means the blessings of the kingdom of God or her heavenly reward will not be lost. What Mary was gaining at Jesus' feet will not be lost. There's no way you can't take it away from her. Never gonna be lost. Or three, that it could mean that she will be remembered in history for this. Any way that you look at it, all hold true. I mean, she was remembered in history, and you're not going to take away what she gained at Jesus' feet there. And you bet that 
there was a reward, a heavenly reward for her, and you couldn't get her to stop listening. Let me say this, though. For those of us who are here in the 21st century today, I believe that we need to know that God would not ever force us to stop listening. I think he is crying out for us to listen more. In fact, I read it in Isaiah 55, that portion of scripture that God put on my heart at the beginning of the service. And I don't know if you caught it. I'll go back to it here real quick for you. Isaiah 55, in verse 3, it says, Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you'll find life. Come to me with your ears wide open. I know that in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 5, it says, draw near to hear. Don't be so quick to utter anything before God. Let your words be few, because he's in heaven and we're on earth. There's just something about believers coming to God that want to listen. I don't know about you, but anytime I'm in a church service, I want God to speak to me. I want him to speak to my heart. I want him to talk to me. I've, I've come to get, I've come to hear. I, I can remember years ago, we had a, a gal come over. Oh, I can say who it is. I don't, I don't, you know, she's not here. She's in Africa anyway, Crystal Stock. So she comes over to her house, and she was all embarrassed. You know, we got our three boys there. They're, you know, younger, and um, she's all embarrassed. And Pastor John, I can't eat your food. And I said, you guys, do you hear that? I go, does that even make sense to you? Um, I don't think my boys would ever be too shy at anybody's house to eat the food that was being laid out. I said, here's the deal. I said, I'm going to pray. We're all going to eat. I said, you can do whatever you want to do, but we're going to eat. Okay, that's just what's going to go down. It would seem weird that you would be over for dinner and you wouldn't eat. It seems weird to me that people come to church all the time and they don't get anything. Seems so weird to me. Why are you coming? What, 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 what's the sense of all of this? You know, man, I hope Pastor John's got a good message tonight. A good message is one that you receive and that God speaks to you through. I mean, why are we here if we're not getting nothing? I mean, what's the sense? Man, you need to go to church. Why does somebody need to go to church? Because there's a meal being prepared. Isn't that one of the reasons why we tithe as believers in Malachi chapter 3? So that there would be food in God's house? Man, one thing should be guaranteed at church, that nobody leaves hungry. In fact, if anything, their appetite should be stirred so that they would even be hungry for more. I mean, I was raised in a large Polish family, and we were encouraged to have a healthy appetite. My dad would commend us for eating well. I can remember one time as a teenager, I ate two steaks, and my dad just raved about it. We got our dad's praises when we ate a lot. So I excel at eating. It's a gift. It's a gift. And I'm still trying to make my dad happy, even though he's gone home to be with the Lord years ago. I'm trying to make him happy. That's it, honey. My wife said to me one time, we were newly married. She goes, do you always clean your plate? And I go, yeah. Well, doesn't everybody? She goes, why? And I go, I, I, our dad was proud of us when we ate well because he grew up in the Depression when food was scarce. And so my dad was always the last one to eat, you know, and I, Dad, why don't you, no, 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 he just it made him happy when everybody ate well. Don't you think it makes God happy when everybody eats well? 
Don't think your Father in heaven is, man, look at the meal that I prepared for. Man, I hope they, I hope they get their fill. I hope they go home with full bellies tonight. I hope they're snoring, they're sleeping so well tonight. I hope, I mean, I think that's the heart of God. He wants you to eat. Well, I tell you what, I'm not skimping these Christmas meals that I'm eating. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna be driving home. I wish I would've eaten more. You know, it looks so good. I probably should've. I'm really not gonna. Why? Because those meals have been prepared. And family, they want you to eat well. You probably have desserts that you're looking forward to, meals that you're looking forward to, probably have put time and effort into the menu that's, gonna, that, that's being planned out, and you should eat well. When you come to church, stink and eat well. Eat well. Come hungry. Come hungry and leave satisfied. Leave satisfied because a meal has been prepared for you. I want to say this. I believe that God's blessings on our lives will not be lost just like they weren't on Mary. And I believe that we are making history in the 21st century. We just don't know it because we're in the present right now. And I believe God's using us in our day and in our age. And just like Mary was remembered, will be remembered, should Jesus tarry. I believe that with all of my heart. So let me challenge you with a few thoughts, and then we're going to pray. And I believe we need to be a disciple at his feet first before serving on our own two feet. We need to be a disciple at Jesus' feet first before we ever get on our own two feet and and we serve. In fact, healthy would be we are receivers before we're ever givers. We're, we're servants before we're leaders. In fact, servant leadership is probably the best. Secondly, time spent with Jesus removes distractions and it minimizes worry. How many of you know that if Martha would have been Jesus' feet like Mary, she wouldn't have been worried and distracted like she was? But she was annoyed with someone who was. And people are always busy. People are always going to be annoyed with people that have an intimate relationship with the living God. It's going to annoy them. Oh, you're going to church again. I suppose you're giving your money too. Are you crazy? So crazy. So far gone. I should probably get examined here soon. So lost it. So snapped. My cheese has slipped off its cracker one too many times. And I have not had a doctor's appointment in quite some time. My elevator does not go all the way to the top. It hasn't for years. I'm gone, solid gone. I know this much, that the time that I spent with Jesus, I, I'm not worrying in there. I'm not worrying in my, in my prayer closet. I'm worrying in my prayer closet. I'm not distracted in my prayer closet. I'm devoted in my prayer closet. Man, I'm not losing in my prayer closet. I'm gaining in my prayer closet. You know what? In my prayer closet, I'm never at a loss for words because I'm receiving so many of his. In fact, if you got it going on in your time alone with the Lord, you're writing down things that God is speaking to you. You're walking around and you're praying or maybe you're on your face and you're praying and God speaks something. Man, write that down. Oh, gone it, that was right from heaven's throne. That is awesome. I don't know how many times that that has happened, and I am writing. I'm now wiser when I get along with God. I usually have something that I, can, that I can write. I've taken notes on my phone before. Oh, man, that was good. That was good. 
I love it, man. God's speaking and you're receiving. And why record it? So that you can read it again. Because the words that he speaks are life. So you can read them again and again. Man, God spoke that to me and you can read it again and again and again. And it's still full of life for you. Those scriptures that he gave you, they're full of life because they became a rhema word to you at one point in time. In my Bible, I'll write down, this is a word that I received when. This was a scripture that I was given when. And they still minister to me as I go back to that moment in time when that word came, when God brought me to those scriptures. Disciples are known more by the feet they sit at than what they accomplish on their own feet. You'll be known more by the feet that you sit at than what you accomplish on your own. I remember years ago, we had a guy, man, gifted guy, prophetically gifted, gifted guy. And uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy that had spoken, had words from the Lord for like leaders of countries. And when I found out that he wasn't going to church anymore, I'd never let him come back. I'd, I, man, what right do you have to minister to a church if you're not even attending one. And his argument was, well, John, you know, where we live here, there's really not any solid churches. And I said, really, you can't find one solid church where you are. Then I said, and if, if what you could bring to the table is so much better than what those pastors are, then why don't you start a church? I mean, you're talking to a guy seasoned, brilliant. And he finally said, all right, I will. I said, well, have at it. He'd call me up. He'd go, hey, man, when you started your church, what did you, well, this is what we, and hopefully he's still pastoring today. But as soon as I found out that he wasn't attending anywhere, I thought, man, why, bro, I can't let you come here. You need to find a church. You need to attend church. How do I know that your heart hasn't gotten off because you're not attending church and you're going to spew something from the pulpit one day that I'm going to go, oh, red flag, what? Be one who sits at the feet of the word of God. And then I want to say this. We must make sitting under God's word a priority if we're going to finish this race well. I've seen a lot of people get weird because they're not sitting under the word of God. Come on, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I believe that we can increase in faith. I believe we can. I believe that there should be ever-increasing faith in the life of a believer. And if you're not increasing in faith, you're decreasing in faith, I would challenge your intake of the Word of God. How much of the Word of God are you getting? What's up with that? In fact, you'll make a very strong connection to how much of the Word of God you're getting and where your walk with the Lord is at, where your faith is at. You're strong in the Lord, you're strong in faith and you're consistently getting the word of God or you're weak because you're not consistently getting the word of God. And I challenge you tonight, before this year's end, before 2017 is over, you be a woman, you be a man of the word. Be a woman of the word. And you sit at the feet of the word of God and you get it as much as you possibly can. 
Something's wrong when we don't want the word. Our appetite's not healthy as a believer. Something's wrong. It's not healthy. It's not right. I knew our boys, maybe all except for our Colin, because his appetite never seemed to change. I think he had dual ear infections one time, and his appetite didn't change. He was still eating. We couldn't always tell when he was sick unless he was in, in pain. But I always knew that something was wrong with our boys when their appetites changed. In fact, I also knew when they were growing, when they were about to spurt again because their appetite increased. They were just all of a sudden eating like crazy. Oh, they're going to grow spurt. You watch. They're going to they're bump up a few inches here. You, you watch. Growth is connected to appetite. It's connected to appetite. Healthy growth is connected to a healthy appetite. Spiritually, physically, it's all the same. So if we know how to have a healthy appetite physically, then we need to discover more and more how to have a healthy appetite spiritually. Are you devouring the word of God? Are you getting the word of God? All of your increase and all of your growth as a believer in Jesus revolves around Jesus, the word of God. It revolves around him. Are you getting it? Are you growing? Are you devouring? And probably why I'm preaching scriptures are coming to you. Oh my gosh, I just read. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I just want to pray over you that you would have a hunger for God's word. And I just want to say this, and I don't think I've ever given any kind of an invitation like this, but if your lives are not right with God, if they're not, these altars are going to be open, our elders, their spouses, our ministry team's going to be up here at the altar after the service. Please come and say, man, would you pray with me? My life's not right with God. Would you please pray? My wife and I will be here. We would love to be able to pray with you. But I want to pray. I want to pray a hunger for God's word over you. I can't think of a single place that I go where I am not close to a Bible somewhere. I've got a Bible in my car. I've got a Bible right around the corner from my bed. I got, we got Bibles upstairs. We got Bibles downstairs. Hunger for God's word.